Well, hey, good morning. Happy New Year's. How you guys doing? Wow, you're awakening at it. I love it. I'm so glad to be with you guys. If you're here in the room, man, it's, I'm just, I was so impressed you made it. It's so great to have you guys here. Watching online, glad you're here. And anyone listening after the fact, glad that you tuned in. So um, I'm Ryan. I'm glad to be with you. I am so stoked about today's teaching. I really feel like the content for today, what we're talking about today, has been something that I've been really wrestling with and thinking about with God um, for a while and really excited to bring it to you this morning. I think God has some cool things. So we're starting this new year, right? And it comes with new, we got some new like hopes, new dreams. Maybe you're doing the New Year's resolution thing. You're like, I am ready to go for it, right? Or maybe you're like, I don't even care. Today is the same as yesterday. All of the days are the same. Life is but a vapor. Nothing matters anymore. But if you're on either side of the spectrum, I really believe that today's practice, today's teaching has something to give you that will be really transformative in your life if you're willing to try it, right? I believe that today's practice is going to be difficult. It's simple, but it's difficult because I really believe this practice um, is countercultural. It's something very countercultural in our contemporary moment. And the practice I'm talking about, it's the name of the series, it is Sabbath Rest. Maybe Sabbath is something you're familiar with, maybe you're not, but I hope today's not only a great introduction maybe or reintroduction, but hopefully inspires you to maybe take some steps in the direction of Sabbath rest. So I don't know about you, but as I was spending some New Year's time reflecting on life, I really felt like for me, maybe kind of maybe it's coming out of post-COVID, like whatever, but I feel like life is just moving at this incredibly fast pace. I mean, we're aware of kind of all the post-COVID realities. We're aware of social media. We're aware of all the marketing out there, capitalism, side hustle culture, pervasive entertainment. It feels like our culture is just so fast all the time, right? For me, it feels like being on a treadmill where the speed is just turned up a little bit too much, which is any time I'm on the treadmill. Um, and, and it just feels like it's going and, and the, you can't turn the dial down. And it just culture and life and, and, and the schedule is just so much. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're coming out of a nice relaxing holiday and you're looking at the weeks and months ahead and you're feeling like, man, we're just back at it again, right? Like it really, maybe things really haven't changed a whole lot. But I think in this pervasive culture, this fast-paced culture, we find some of Jesus' words so desirable in the midst of it. I know I do. These words here in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, probably some of the most inspiring I've ever read when it comes to the life of Jesus. For Jesus says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It sounds good because practically we just want rest, right? We want that peace. We feel what Jesus is saying. And I don't think Jesus here is just offering some like momentary vacation or just a breather. I think what Jesus is offering when he says, come to me and I will give you rest, is he wants to provide a lifestyle of rest. He wants to provide an alternate way of living. I mean, he's the one who said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full, right? Jesus is offering us an abundant 
life. Maybe not, maybe you're here today, this is the first time the Keystone, and, and you've not even heard this, that Jesus wants you to have an abundant and good life. And I really believe the idea of Sabbath rest is actually central to that abundant life. But we have to be careful because in the same breath, Jesus talks about how the thief comes only to steal and destroy. And as I look at the culture around us and I look at the way that I am living into culture, I see that thief stealing my life from me. The exhaustion, the anxiety, the depression. And maybe you see that in the lives of other people. So maybe you're like, you've got the rest thing down and your life is just cruising. But there's people around us who need help. Right, so when Jesus offers us rest, there's two things going on. I believe truly there's a supernatural, spiritual rest Jesus offers us. That he will, he will forgive you of your sins. He will see you where you're at. He will just heap grace and love upon you. Right? That the striving we feel at the core of our being is no longer necessary because we know who we are in God. And I think the second part of the rest is actually just something that's very tangible and practical. It's the way we live our life. That's the rest that Jesus is offering us. And I think I wanted to start our new year talking about rest because I kind of viewed rest, Sabbath rest, really as a door hinge, right? In terms of the year, it's this door that we get to step into a new future. Sabbath rest gives us a new way to see the world we're stepping into while also looking back at the things that have happened in our past and being able to see those in the context and realize where we've been and where we want to go. So, I'm excited to explore this. I hope you are as well. And I want to really give us a fleshed out definition of Sabbath rest. I'm going to use Sabbath and rest in conjunction with each other. Um, if you're not familiar, let's get on the same place. So Sabbath comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word Shabbat. And practically, it just means to cease, to stop, and to rest. To cease, to stop, and to rest. And when we bring it into its fuller context, this is what Sabbath means. It's a period of time to stop and set aside for rest, delight, and worship. So let's rest there for a second. Sabbath is a period of time to stop and set aside for rest, delight, and worship. I believe that Sabbath rest is both an intention as well as a practice. It's something that we do repetitively if we want to see its fruit in our lives. So there's an incredible organization. It's called Practicing the Way. Um, you should, if you want to learn more about this, they have an incredible podcast um, that has a whole session on Sabbath, and it will flesh out this idea beautifully. But they paint an incredible picture of what the purpose of Sabbath rest is for us. And the question I want to ask you is, as we go through this depiction, is this the type of person you want to be? Is this the type of person you want to be not only today, but for the rest of your life? So this is what Practicing the Way says is the end goal for Sabbath. The end goal for Sabbath is it's to apprentice under Jesus. So that's first and foremost. It's to become a person who is marked by an inner spirit of restfulness, who is calm, at ease in their own body, unhurried, kind, and present. You will become aware of what God is doing around you, sincerely grateful, emotionally healthy, and delighted by the goodness of your life with God. I love this last part too. A person who is like a rock in a sea of chaos, unmoved by the overwork, overconsumption, 
and overactivity of our host culture. Do you want to be that kind of person? Because when I read that, that's desperately who I want to be in 2023 and beyond. And if that's the type of person you want to be, man, this exploration today is for you. So when I was really thinking about Sabbath, this was the true catalyst to it all. I was sitting in uh, one of my seminary lectures, meaning sitting in my home because it's all online, uh, which just feels terrible, but that's a whole other discussion. But at an incredibly inspiring moment because our, our professor said this, Sabbath is creation's crown. So we're talking about the creation of all things. We're start talking about the origin of the world. We're talking about Genesis. And she said, Sabbath is creation's crown. And I don't know about you, but when I think about creation, this blows me away. The idea that creation's crown is actually Sabbath rest. Because if I was to be honest, I always thought that humanity was the most important thing. And maybe that's just the ego inside of me. And I know that humanity, like there's an important part. We carry the image of God and that's important. But at the end of the day, when we look at the cadence of the creation story, Sabbath is creation's crown. When we read Genesis 1 and 2, and if you aren't familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. It talks about the creation of all things. It depicts how God made the world. And the authors are just so beautiful in how they write it. So we're going to dive in just a little bit this morning with it. So this is how Genesis 1-1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So this is kind of how God moves through creation, and I highly encourage you this week, maybe just check out Genesis 1 and 2. Give it a read and feel what's going on here. But God, he creates light and he creates night. He separates these two entities. Then on the second day, God creates the waters and the atmosphere. The third day, and you can throw that slide up with the numbers for me. On the third day, dry land and vegetation. The fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The fifth day, birds and sea creatures, and on the sixth day, land animals and humans. And every, after every day of creating, God says, it is good. It is good. We have a God who gets his hands dirty, and he creates good things. Maybe just the idea of God being good and creating good things and wanting good things out of creation is new for you. But this is the God we have. And I love the way it ends. Check it out. So this is how the, the seven days of creation end. And you can see it in chapter two. Um, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of the creation that he had done. Oh, I love this moment. Did God, who's the creator of all things, who, who, who crafted everything we know, did God need to rest? I mean, I would probably say practically no. This God did not need to rest. There's something more going on here. But I think it's really ironic that we don't slow down in this moment and we don't realize that the first things that humanity experiences, the first, the first day humanity experiences is rest with God, right? Humans were created on the sixth day, and on the next day, they just got to delight in relationship with God. 
I think there's something so beautiful that's happening there. Like God didn't like make humanity and he's like, yo, Adam, there's all these fuzzy, weird things crawling around. We need names for them. Start doing that, right? He didn't tell them, start doing some agriculture, start harvesting some fruit. He like, it wasn't a survive or die culture right away. Right away, God just wanted harmony and relationship with humanity. They got to rest together. They got to enjoy the good creation together. I love this so, so much. There's no conflict here. If you look at other ancient Near Eastern creation mythologies, they all start with conflict. There's always conflict and violence. Babylonians, Enuma, Elish is one of these. But here, one of the unique things about Christianity is we have this incredible God who just creates good things and wants like, creation to delight in the creation that he has made. It just wraps itself together, and it's so beautiful. And now, if you continue to read on, if you decide to read past one and two, um, God does eventually give humanity purpose to tending to creation with him. He, he says, I want you to rule with me over creation in harmony. However, humanity unfortunately forfeits this perfect harmony by giving in to deception and disobedience. We call this moment original sin. And sin is this dirty, ugly word, but it's, it's doing things that are against God. And it, it screws everything up. It leads to humanity being removed from God's presence. And then this is where we start to see that humanity needs to strive and produce to survive. But what's awesome is right from the start, God does not want humanity to remain in that place. He craves restored relationship. So we're going to skip a little bit in the narrative, but again, I highly encourage you to check out Genesis and see what happens and how God moves with the people. You know, you could read the Bible. There's an incredible organization, The Bible Project. You can watch some of their videos about scripture and get a really great picture. But what happens is eventually God removes what's called his people, the Israelites from Egypt, right? Eventually, he had chosen these people, um, but they had been enslaved in, in, in Egypt. And he wants to restore relationship with them and restore relationship with humanity. So he pulls them out of Egypt, right? He rescues them. And maybe some of you are familiar with how God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. But he pulls them out and he brings them to a place called Mount Sinai. Now, at this place, um, God, what's cool here is, one, he's pulled them out of Egypt, and they're at Mount Sinai. They haven't done anything. They're not really an incredible people, but God is going to establish an incredible covenant relationship with them. And I brought this picture from the Google. I love this picture so much because it's like God is putting on the coolest Pink Floyd light show of all time, right? Original Woodstock right here. It's just going. It's just crazy. Cool stuff is happening. And I just love how like Renaissance it is. And then it's just like laser light show. Like, I love it. Um, so, but this, in this moment, something really cool happens because God says, I want restored relationship. And he gives them a covenant relationship. He makes a promise. I will be this way. I will act towards you in this way. And this is how, what I want you to do, right? So we get the, the famous 10 commandments here. The famous 10 commandments are part of the, um, this covenant. And what we see in the 10 commandments is actually the Sabbath commandment, right? It's the first commandment about resting. So we're going to explore that together. It's in Exodus 20. You can check it out. This is where the famous Ten Commandments are. It'll also be on the screen here for you. So this is what God commands for these Israelite people. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day before the Lord Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I love that this, this, Sabbath, this Sabbath commandment gets the most airtime. There's the most words. There's the most content in this commandment of the ten. And I believe that the emphasis here, like if you, you look at why, why God gave this commandment, why should the people rest, the emphasis is that the people would be reflective of God. God decided to rest, so too should the people. And by reflecting God, by following God, by following God's example, they would actually show the world around them what God was like, what restore relationship with God was like. Now, not a lot of people might know this, but the Ten Commandments are actually reiterated in another place in the Old Testament. So what eventually happens, God makes this covenant relationship. Um, the people agree to it, but they, kind of, they screw up again. And they have to wander the desert for 40 years. But God's promising them, I'll lead you to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And eventually the 40 years pass, the wandering is over. They're on the precipice of the promised land. And their leader of decades, Moses, has some departing wisdom for them. And we see that in the book of Deuteronomy. And what's interesting is in Deuteronomy, Moses, Moses gives them the Ten Commandments again. And if you read the Sabbath commandment, there's something a little bit different in it. Right, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. We already heard the first half. It's all the same. But this is the reason Moses gives the people for following the Sabbath day. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So here, the Sabbath is given to the people as an act of remembrance. It's like God is saying, remember my people. Remember, Israelites, you were once slaves to Egypt. You were once slaves to empire. You were once slaves to another culture, another way of living. But I have rescued you, and I want this Sabbath day, this period of time, this moment of rest to be a moment where you can realize that you have a new way of life. That old identity is out and you have a new one. So slow down and enjoy it. So as we see Sabbath, let's pull it back. Sabbath in these two ancient contexts. It's a discipline that's designed to reflect our relationship with God as well as to keep us firmly rooted in our identity with God. There's an incredible scholar, his name is Walter Brueggemann, and he writes this. So this kind of applies it to our modern context. This is what he says, and if you want to read more about Sabbath, this book, Sabbath as Resistance, which is just such a freaking pop punk title, is so cool, but you should check that out. The Sabbath, this is what he says, the Sabbath concerns the maintenance of a distinct faith identity in the midst of a culture that is inhospitable to all distinct identities and its impatient reduction of all human life to the requirements of the market. That is so intelligent. 
That is so good. This is why I reference people, because this is beyond what I can. This is breaking it down. So the Sabbath concerns the maintenance of a distinct faith identity. When we decide to stop and rest for a period of time, it will keep us centered in the identity of, of the people of God. It will keep us centered in who we're supposed to be in the midst of a culture that wants to reduce us. Right, that wants to reduce us because I really believe the culture at large wants to reduce us rather than allow us to live into the beautiful identity that God has set for us. So here we see these Old Testament roots for the Sabbath. And I think it correlates to our lives. But if you want to follow Jesus, Sabbath takes on an even new flavor and context and color because if you have a relationship with Jesus, he has some important things to say about Sabbath. Now, if you, you read a bunch of the stories about Jesus, you know that his conflict with many of the religious leaders of the time are because of the Sabbath. Now, the religious leaders during Jesus' time were descendants of the Israelite people. They were the Israelites. And during Jesus' time, Sabbath practice had become hyper-legalistic. It was this presumptuous posturing where the religious leaders loved to tell everybody else about the rules and how they should and should not follow them. It was like the, the intent and the heart of Sabbath was lost. And I think Jesus wanted to reorient their perspective, as well as give anyone that wanted to follow him a new perspective. So here's a nice photo for you if you're a visual person. But this is what Jesus says during one of these conflicts, and I think it's super important. He says to the religious leaders after one of these conflicts, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, you catch that? And man, and not man for the Sabbath. And then what's cool here is Jesus claims as the Son of God that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? Followers of Jesus, we're not meant to follow the Sabbath because it's some legalistic rule following. Just because some weird guy on a stage told you to do this doesn't mean you should do it. Right? Sabbath, there's something more to it. I think fundamentally when we look at that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, we're meant to practice this period of rest because we want to show love and devotion for the Lord of Sabbath. We want to show our love and devotion for Jesus so we should practice Sabbath. Also, the Sabbath was made for man. There's something here that's good for us. God created this at the, like, the origin of all creation, so there's something good here for us. Sabbath practice is important. Sabbath practice, we should take it seriously because Jesus took it seriously. I really think that Sabbath rest speaks to something about our human nature. Again, there's a reason that it was created at the very beginning, not because God needed rest, but because I think there's something more going on. There's a really incredible thinker. His name is Thomas Aquinas, and um, just incredible writing, incredible things that he has out there. Um, but he speculated that, that the thing, the thing that could actually fulfill human desire would be everything. That humans, to, to fill the ache within us, we'd have to experience everything. We have an ache for more always. And this ache can go unchecked very easily. 
right? As we look to the new year, what are the things that we prioritize, right? I think deep down, we might not say it out loud, but the way that we're living our life, lives, it's, it's about more, more money. It's about more square footage. It's about more entertainment. It's about uh, more romantic and sexual experiences, right? It's about more things always. And if we could just get more, maybe that ache inside me would just stop aching, or maybe we're not even aware of it and we're just driving our lives not knowing where it's going. But then our comparison conversations kick in and we see what everybody else is doing. And then we start to gear our life towards the things that other people are doing. So it's, it's a culture of work harder. It's a culture of work longer. It's a culture of do things more efficiently. Do more with the same amount of time you've always had. Get it done faster. Do it better. Enjoy more. And this is why I think Jesus warns us that the thief only comes to kill and destroy. Because if culture goes unchecked in our lives and we're just living into it, we're losing our lives. We're losing our potential. Rich Velotis, a pastor out in New York leading New Life Community Church, incredible reader, uh, writer, again, if you want another book to read, Deeply Formed Life, an awesome book, but he says this, as long as we remain enslaved to a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction, we will not be the people God longs for us to be. As long as we remain enslaved to a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction, we will not be the people God longs for us to be. Now, don't, don't misinterpret him here God always loves you. God, God always forgives you and gives you grace. You always have renewed identity for him. But I think God wants to push us further when we're following Jesus into something more. And I think one of my greatest fears is actually that I will miss out on the life that God actually has for me because I was just allowing culture to dictate the way that I was living my life. So we have two choices. I really believe we have two choices. We could allow culture and it's this big amalgamous thing. But we could allow culture to continue to dictate and direct our attention. And I really think we're going to lose out on so much that God has in store for us. So much purpose and so much joy. So we could allow culture to dictate the way we live. Or we could actually step into the life that Jesus offers us. And pursue things that he, say, he says are important. This has been a thought I've had for a long time. What if the way that Christians rested, what if like the way that we rested, not just like the practical like one day of a week, but the way that we were rested, the type of people we were because we had structured our lives in such an intentional way, what if that was what set us apart from culture? Right? What if what if rest itself was the thing that people were like, I, I want that in my life. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I'm anxious. Is there something more for me? And they saw just the way that we were because we are intentional about this practice. We wouldn't need to debate people into the kingdom of heaven. We wouldn't need to write an incredible Facebook article and like evangelize people, but I don't know if anyone's been evangelized by Facebook. But we don't, we don't need to do that because people just see that we're a different type of people. People just see that we live differently and they crave that because they see that we're living into the kingdom of heaven. That's what I think this calling to Sabbath rest is. And this is why I think it's important for us to think about. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I just want to give you like a practical picture 
of Sabbath in our contemporary moment, right? We've talked about some background. We talked about some ideas. The abstract is good, but let us put it into our lives. And I want you to hear, again, it's not my desire, nor do I believe it's God's desire that Sabbath just be another thing you tack onto your week, right? It's not another thing for the list because I really think Sabbath is about reorienting your life. It's about re-seeing and viewing the rhythm of your life in a different way. It's about pushing against culture and living into a new identity. And I really believe it will look different for all of us. That's why it can't be legalistic. It's because we all have to live into it differently. It'll look differently for the six-year-old who's listening to this. If they've made it this far, it's going to look different for you. It's going to look different for a single college student. It's going to look different for a family with a newborn baby. It's going to look different for parents of teenagers. It's going to look different for empty nesters. The invitation of Sabbath is we discover it with God together. Again, in its fuller context, let me give it to you in case you've gotten a little bit lost. This is what Sabbath means. It's a period of time to stop and set aside for rest, delight, delight, and worship. So here's a practical picture. You start on Saturday night, right? The Jewish culture, they saw like uh, sundown to sundown. Was a, they started their day at sundown and the day ended at the next sundown. So you start sundown on Saturday night. You light a little candle. You pray. You say, God, thank you so much for the week behind me. I'm so excited for these 24 hours just to enjoy and delight in you and to worship you. And you wake up Saturday mor- Sunday morning and you slept in. You slept in because God loves when you take naps. God loves when you sleep. God loves when you take care of your body. And then you go, you know what? I want to go to church today. I want to be with people that I just love. I want to go to a community where I can celebrate God together, right? Like, I want to be part of that. I want to sing songs about him, learn about him, and be with people that also love him. And then, you, then the rest of the day, you're like, you know what? I'm going to pull out this catalog of things I love to do. I'm going to go out to lunch with friends. We're going to, maybe we talk about worship. Maybe we just enjoy some good mac and cheese, right? Or maybe we go to the dog park. Maybe we go to the dog park because I firmly believe that dogs are the closest things to angels that we will ever get. Right? Wow. I like that. Right? Are you getting, here's the picture. The picture is that this is a day for freedom and delight and community. And there's going to be challenges for sure. And this is going to rub some people like the wrong way. But there's going to be, there's going to be problems because there's sports schedules. And I really believe that sports are one of the greatest modern altars that we worship at. Right? You might be the type of person that's working two jobs just to provide for your family. Just to pay off for school. And you don't have time for leisure. Right? Or maybe you're driving the kids all week long and the weekends are the only time to catch up on chores and errands. Right? That ever-mounting pile of laundry is always there. And I get that. Right? This is the life. This is the culture that we live in. We start to think about it practically and there it is. And these things aren't bad except I do know that laundry is always bad. It's always terrible. But we've decided that we can't be naked so that's a whole other thing. But... If we continue to follow the pace of culture, if we decide that this is going to be the thing that we're going to just continue to live on, then, then our lives aren't going to change. Then there's really no point to any of this. Because I really believe the Sabbath rest that we're talking about, it's a discipline. It takes time. It's going to be difficult. And, and you can start small. Maybe it's two hours. Maybe it's two hours where you gather together, you light the candle, you have a meal at, around the table, you play a board game, and that's it, right? Something simple, but you do it to glorify God. So give yourself time to just stop, 
to rest, to delight, and to worship. I think those four elements provide a beautiful backbone to the Sabbath practice. So as we end, I know that many of you may be rolling your eyes, right? Many of you are like, this is so great, but I'm just really not going to do it. Or maybe you secretly really want to live a different way of life, but it's just going to be too hard. And I, again, get it because I was, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to do this in my own life because you got to walk the talk. And I've been bad at it. I've been terrible at it. I had one day, though, and this was awesome. I did it. I did the candle thing. I did the sleep-in thing. I did the delighting all day and the worshiping thing. And I'll tell you, that one day where I actually did the Sabbath practice, I felt so much freer, and I felt so much more connected to God than I had in so long because I had just stopped and rested and delighted, right? I think we need to try. And again, in my life, the holidays rolled in and busyness and work and all of these different things. But I want to keep trying because I want to pursue Jesus. So this is where I end. I bring you the Sabbath practice that God already provides us. I bring this today because I firmly believe that this countercultural practice that has been established since the beginning of time really could transform the ways that we order our lives and actually live into a more abundant life than what we're experiencing right now. I bring Sabbath practice to you this morning because too many of us are living our days, our weeks, our months, our years in a fashion that is dictated more by culture than by Christ. Unaware, we just assume that this is how life is and life will just pass us by. But God wants so much more. Again, I bring Sabbath practice because I think we need to be intentional, purposeful, and practical about the ways we follow Jesus. It's these types of rhythmic, rhythmic practices that will actually assist us in becoming like Jesus. Then, as we experience a rich and abundant life, we'll be able to invite other people into that. So I'm going to wrap up here. Again, if you want to learn more about this, check out Practicing the Way. Read the couple of books I mentioned, Deeply Formed Life, Resist, Sabbath as Resistance. Um, but if any of this hit you, or if just like the new year is super daunting, or you just need someone to talk to, we're going to have some friends over here um, under the screen just to, to talk to, if that's what you need. Um, we, we want to be a community and a place where you can do that. Um, but for the, as we wrap up, I would love to invite you to stand with me, and I'll pray, and then we will launch into 2023. God, thank you so much for, thank you for this morning. Um, calendar years are a little bit silly, God, but I think it's really beautiful that we get a chance to, to see ourselves start over. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor for the way that you always offer us a new day, a new start by your forgiveness and goodness. God, I pray for all of our friends here that listen to this talk about Sabbath rest. Maybe this is something different. Maybe there's a weight that they grew up in legalistic Christianity and this just feels weird. Maybe it just is far too impractical. Um, but God, I think you gave us something really important in the Sabbath. You gave us a way to, to structure our weeks. And God, that's going to be difficult because we'll have to be intentional about the time we set aside to stop, rest, delight, and worship. And God, you are a good God for giving it to us because it gives us something more. But ultimately, Lord, we want everything we're doing in this life to glorify you. We want 
to follow you because you're a God of love who, go, who, who makes good things, who gives us purpose for our lives. You are a good, good God, and we're so thankful for you. Lord, I pray for all of our friends this morning for whatever 2022 looked like for them and whatever 2023 looks like. I just know and I have the faith that you will walk with them, and I pray that we lean into that more this year than any other. God, it's by Jesus' name that you give all of these practices power, these words power, and it's by his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you guys next week for a brand new series.